0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints and the Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host. Chris welcome Omar
1: thank you Chris good to be back
0: talk to us about the significance of the pontificate of Pope Paul VI and just the incredible wealth of teaching mm-hmm. that has flowed through that wonderful event we call Vatican II
1: <laughs> that's right well John the 23rd where we left off last time certainly gives us the council, and after his two great encyclicals in the social teaching, we have Pope Paul VI take over for this great new council, this pastoral council, this council for aggiornamento, updating, etc. At the very end of the council, we have, in 1965, two documents that were really, in a certain sense, shepherded by Paul VI because he he helped save one of them, and he was um, a, a certainly great pastor for the other one. Uh, he was a pastor for Gaudium et Spes the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world. And that is, I think, one of the greatest touchstones of the council. It really expresses the heart of the council, which was, we're in a new age here. It's a new modern world. We're a hundred years after Pius IX and the syllabus of errors and and the effort of the church to kind of push away the modern world because the modern world was trying to kill the church. But it's a hundred years later now. We're in a new world and the church has a role, a very important role that's actually part of its very mandate. So the document starts out saying that the joys and hopes, Gaudium et Spes, joys and hopes, and the fears and anxieties of the human people are part of the Church's business. The Church cares about this. The Church wonders about this. And the Church has a role in leading the, the world towards a better relationship with Christ Jesus. It's really a foundational document for the social teaching. And then the other document that Paul VI helped save is Dignitatis Humanae, the, the Declaration on Religious Liberty. Um, it was probably the most contentious document. It was only 16 pages long. It had more revisions than any other single document in the council. And a couple of times, it, had, it was almost squashed. And But Paul VI really felt it was important to continue because it was an important message. The church had struggled articulating, especially after the hundred years of, 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 of persecution. But it was a message that needed to be said, and that is that every human person has, by virtue of their dignity as a human person, a right to be free from coercion from the state in matters of religion, so that no one should be forced to do something against their conscience within due limits. And that's that message, that singular cry from the Council, uh, is certainly very effective for us today, as we're struggling with religious liberty here in the United States. But it was something the Church needed to say for everybody, because now the Church can, with legitimacy, really say, this is not... Um, a game. We're not crying religious liberty when we find ourselves being persecuted uh, only to turn around and persecute others. This is a fundamental human right that we recognize and recognize as part of the teaching of the Catholic Church.
0: Many of us in America may be unfamiliar with this particular piece because we've never had to really worry about it before. That's right, yeah. The rest of the world, this has been a very important teaching of the church. I mean, they've, they've been very aware of that and have struggled with it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and that interplay between the role of the state and what the state should should do in terms of a, a religious consciousness is something that Europe has struggled with a great deal. Um, oddly, the the questions of religious liberty that don't get as much play are the questions of religious liberty that are uh, that are perhaps the most dangerous and that's sort of the 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 slow undermining deadening of religious sense that's happening in in europe and, and unfortunately in canada and in places in the united states as well that's something which the declaration of religious liberty also addresses as does gati Metzpez, which which argues that christ is the center christ is the way we realize who we really are and so any Culture, any society is going to require a relationship with Christ, and it's the the Christian's job, it's the layperson's job to bring Christ out into the world. And Paul the Sixth is this great example of that, because in his later encyclicals, then he begins to address just those very notions.
0: Really speaks to the fact that the Vatican II documents are foundational pieces. Mm for everything else that flows. I mean, John Paul, always. it, it yes, seems yes. as though so much flowed from that. Vatican II, unfortunately, though, has been treated with some type of disdain yeah. by many of the faithful, even those who would consider themselves quote-unquote orthodox or conservative.
1: That's true. No, it's unfortunately true, and I have to admit, in my own life, I've seen a sort of evolution in, in my own understanding of of the council, because I grew up thinking this was the the root of all the craziness that happened in the 60s, 70s, and 80s in the church. When in reality, this the so-called spirit of Vatican II, oftentimes doesn't really meet at all with what the spirit of the Vatican II actually was, and certainly not with the actual words of the documents that one finds in those uh, in in the council. Uh, which is why the current Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI has done a, a great deal to try to articulate what he calls a hermeneutic of continuity, the notion that when we look back at Vatican II, we have to understand it in the context of everything else the church has said before and afterwards it 's not something so radically new, some grand departure that everybody wants to make it out to be, and unfortunately, yeah, you find that that view of this this um, hermeneutic of discontinuity in the far left, if you will, as well as the far right. The Society of St. Pius X, for instance, thinks that the Second Vatican Council changed church teaching as a heretical council, and that's why they don't want to reconcile with the church until they get rid of Vatican II, etc. So you see strange bedfellows that are made with this false understanding of Vatican II, and in reality, the documents are, are beautifully rich. For instance, and we'll talk about this later with Humane Vitae in Paul VI, Gaudium et Spes talks about Contraception and how contraception, artificial contraception, is not a valid way of regulating uh, birth in the family. That comes from Vatican II. That's not just 1968, Humani Vitae.
0: Mm-hmm. I've seen the face of a, a young vocation director in our own archdiocese. His face lights up when he thinks about Godi Metzpez. Yes. I mean, there's there's something about it that uh, really speaks to the heart. If we've taken the time to just ponder it.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful document to ponder. In fact, some of its passages are used in the Liturgy of the Hours in the Office of Readings. It's a beautiful document to to pray over, to think on, and in a a real sense, it's it's almost a a document with marching orders. The first half of the document is about the, the beauty of the human person, the dignity of the human person, what our relationship with God should be like, and the second half are marching orders. How do we how do we change the world? How do we uh, make the church relevant in this modern world? You start with marriage and family, marriage and family. That's what starts. And then afterwards you go to culture. What are you reading? What kind of shows you watching? What kind of clothes are you wearing? How do you treat your brothers and sisters at work, etc.? culture? Then after that, economics. Then after that, politics. Then after that, you know, the global reality. But it starts with marriage and family. So that's where social doctrine should start as well. How do we bring about social justice? Let's bring it first in the home.
0: The 20th century had terrible wars. Mm. First and Second World War, of course, and all the other countless just horrifically sad clashes between man against man. Mm. The 1960s had its wars but maybe the greatest was on the family. I mean, we just see the assault that happened within our own homes that that divided families in so many different ways, and the assault of the culture.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where we can pick up Pope Paul VI here because he writes Populum Progressio in 1967, and it's really a—Pope Benedict has called it a sort of Magna Carta of the new social doctrine after the council— in Populum Progressio, what the Holy Father is trying to get us to understand is that that notion of progress, which was extant before the Second World War, that notion that we as human beings, with our own mental capacity and our reason, can simply will always. We'll always progress to the next big thing. We're always going to evolve to be better. We're, our societies are always going to be... And all we need to do is apply our minds and create the right structures and systems, and then human beings will flourish. This is Marxism. This is so many different kinds of isms in the 20th century, but it's this notion of of we can create our own future for the better by by progress, this inevitable, natural progress. Well, when World War II happens... And we realize just how depraved we, we are. And Pope Paul VI then offers then in Populum Progressio this notion that we're we're not when we talk about the social doctrine and the transformation of culture we're not talking about progress. It's called Populum Progressio, but that's just because it's the two first words in the document. In reality, this is about human development. It's about developing the whole person and all people. Uh, this notion that w- when we talk about the advancement of society, it's not just socioeconomic and political as the marxists would have you believe it's spiritual it's cultural it's familial it's all of these things all in once because all of these things are part of the human experience
0: would you say omar that this particular period under pope paul vi would be the almost an explosion of those teachings not just from Mm. vatican ii but those the documents that would follow afterwards and mm-hmm. the teachings that would lead us to the prolific pontificate of John Paul II.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That's very astute. The Evangelium Nuziandi on the evangelization, a new evangelization, uh, where Pope Paul VI talks about the importance of the social doctrine in evangelizing the world, Populum Progressio, Humane Vitae, Octogesimae Adveniens in 1971, all these documents which come from this great mind. And a mind, a man, who is really, we know what happened in the 60s and the 70s, who was really just weighed down by the tragedies that were occurring and the entire religious orders disappearing in, this, in his pontificate. You know, priests leaving in, in droves, uh, all sorts of scandals coming up. All of this under under this one man's pontificate. And there's so many stories of Pope Paul VI lamenting and, and crying over the various things that had happened during his pontificate. And so for that reason, I always kind of see him as this, the Don Quixote of popes. He's a man who still believes in the dream. The impossible dream of of catholic men and women going out into the world and transforming the world from within with a full sense of the human person uh, that sense of the spiritual that sense of the cultural the intellectual yes and the social and economic but all that's part of a, a larger whole and true human development which is his main theme there in popolo in Progressio. and so he's still tilting at windmills you know he's still trying to fight the good fight in humana vitae 1968 it's a, a beautiful part of that document is toward the end he, he he's, he's writing to the reader and it's a short document he's writing to the reader and he says i know this is difficult i know this teaching is hard but we can do it and with god's help we can do it he's a pastor above everything else paul VI was a pastor he was a man who, who loved the people and wanted to, to them to believe in the same dream he did which was the, the dream of a, a vibrant catholic world <music>
0: We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts. Faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich authentic spiritual tradition we hope that if this has been helpful for you that you will first pray for our mission and if you feel us worthy please consider a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible to support our efforts we charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on discerning hearts and our outreach is literally to the world please tell a friend about discerning hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. A man who, as you've said, the pastor trying to lead this huge universal church. Mm. Unfortunately, there would be the loud dissent mm. of not just the local parish priest from the teachings that are being passed down, by, but even by the church's own bishops. Yes,
1: yeah. All this happens at this time. And it's certainly not the first time this has happened in the church. A hundred years before, Pius IX was dealing with the same thing, for instance, with the bishops in France, who were rejecting his authority over them on a number of various issues. Or you go back to Trent with the change in the liturgy. You see the same thing. So it's not necessarily anything new, but what was significant in this was that this was a, an encyclical teaching coming from the Holy Father whom Vitae. We're talking about and and yes, unfortunately, the, the bishops of Canada and the, the Winnipeg statement, as well as you know, a full dioceses, practically of priests, were were openly rejecting it. Openly rejecting this teaching about contraception and. and and rejecting essentially a vision of the Church of authority, which they thought had sort of gone out of style, Pope Paul the Sixth is sometimes seen as a weak pastor for not having come down hard enough on them or, or corrected this uh, this notion but uh, i 'm certainly not in any position to judge where he came from, but the truth is that the truth is that he never failed, he never shirked back from still teaching the truth. he still continued to teach he still continued to write he still continued to be the leader, even if a quiet leader, from the front and saying this is what the church teaches. He never backed down from Humanae Vitae. And, and then years later, 1971, when he writes on the 80th anniversary of Rerum Revarum, um, he continues to teach about the social doctrine. And, and wonderfully there, he, he's, again, as several books before had been, very critical of trying to marry Marxism or, or other sorts of modern ideologies with Catholic theology. He spends several paragraphs condemning that. So he was, we may not have seen, you know, the, the hard hand that we, we think we maybe should have had, he should have had, but we do see a, a leader who's still leading, who's still preaching the truth, who's still, that pastor who's, who's inviting all of his sheep to come follow him.
0: I think it's important for us to remember, even though it was only 50 years ago, mm-hmm, that's right, <laughs> when, uh, when a lot of this took place that for many people, the outward sign of the church is its liturgy. Mm-hmm. That's what they experience every day. Mm-hmm. And so when that changed and as that outward expression began to cause a lot of conflict over the years mm-hmm. and, and people feeling, for rightly or wrongly, there was a loss of sacredness and all the other issues that come up, that that could have been part of the violent feeling that opposed Vatican II, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, that wonderful, wonderful seedbed that was laid of all the other things, including these great teachings on the church and the world, mm. and, and many other, uh, it, it's not only the, uh, the documents, but also the, the fruits of that that would follow over the, yes. the, the end of the 70s, it kind of caused the atmosphere that would lead to the confusion, the, the chaos between, I bring them up again, those who think of themselves as conservatives right, and yeah. those who feel they're liberals. Yeah. no, We're but, all really Roman Catholics.
1: That's exactly right. I think that's the message he, he wanted more than anything else, is that we, we're Roman Catholic. There's an integrated whole to what we believe, and true progress, uh, true transformation in culture requires that we understand that. That's the vision the Vatican II had. It's a vision f- fundamentally based on that relationship with Christ in the liturgy. Uh, in Evangelium Nuziandi, when he talks about this evangelization, the importance of evangelization, he's very clear. He's very clear that it's this relationship with Christ that we encounter in the liturgy right, that helps helps bring about this transformation of the world, which is the transformation uh, uh, based on the full understanding of who we are because we know who Christ is. The line from Gaudi Mespez, the famous line, Christ reveals man to himself, that's, that's the keynote he's taking. And and uh, when we do that in the liturgy and show that solidarity with the, the Catholics now and the Catholics throughout history, we develop ourselves. We become fully developed so that we can transform the world. But it starts there with Christ.
0: It's always very compelling for me to be in the, uh, the crypt of the popes below St. Peter's mm. in Rome, where now that his... Can I say it neighbor John Paul <laughs> in rest has been moved up into the main body mm-hmm. of Saint Peter's that Pope Paul the sixth rests quietly and there's not exactly throngs <laughs> that are seeking out to pay homage mm-hmm. or and, and to pray there are those who understand but there's something very poignant about that
1: yes the he's it it reminds me of of um of the leader who sort of sees himself out way in front, and and yeah. um, everybody's still quite uncertain as to where he, he's going to go, but he's he's led by the spirit, uh, and he continues to go off and 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 preach regardless of what, whether or not there are sheep behind him or not, because he's being drawn by, by the great shepherd, and so that that's a, that can be a very lonely spot, <laughs> as many saints' lives have have demonstrated. that is That if that visual of Paula VI there still resting alone, I think is really quite poignant.
0: Humanae Vitae, is it an overstatement to say that it's more than, again, just about contraception mm. or relationships sexually we have as people? It really boils down to that the dignity of each human person. It, it's, the, it's fundamental to the gospel and to all other pieces of social teaching we've discussed.
1: Absolutely. And that's when, when he talked about this human development in Populum e Progressio, that theme is picked up in, in Humane Vitae because that fundamental dignity is, is that which needs to be guarded in the social teaching as we're moving forward. It's what drives nations of wealth to help try to, to help nations of, of, of no wealth or little wealth. It's what drives our moral uh, requirement to help our neighbor. It's because of that human dignity. Uh, that we find in in uh, in marriage in the the marital act that we should avoid uh, artificial contraception it's because of this fundamental human dignity that we need to avoid marxist systems even watered down marxist systems that see human beings as cogs in a machine it's this this larger principle of the fundamental dignity of the human person that you find in Gaudium et Spes, which spends a whole half of it talking about that dignity this is what Paul VI, I think, is trying to get us to understand that, that authentic development, real social change happens when we respect that fundamental dignity of the human person. It's less about socioeconomic structures or pol- political structures. It's about fostering the, the fullest understanding of the human person.
0: What I hear you saying it's about relationship.
1: Yes, yes, exactly right.
0: And u- ultimately, isn't that the trinity? Yes. God is a trinity of relationship.
1: Yes and that, that this this is the theology of Paul VI this is the theology of the church I should say is the theology of the church it's this understanding that uh, we have revealed to us and we see this as well in the compendium for instance the social doctrine of the church which starts with this self-revelation of god god reveals himself as relationship as a relationship of love and that's what we're being called into as we look at what our obligation is with with the poor in our country or in other countries around the world Uh, We start with, from the Catholic perspective, we start with the notion that we are already in relationship with them uh, by virtue of the fact that we're all human beings, made in the image and likeness of God. And because we are already in relationship with them, therefore we should live out the, the, the ramifications of that by helping them in whatever way we can.
0: What other pieces with Paul the Sixth should we be aware of and really take time to study? I mean, because we're not just talking about relevant facts. We we want to encourage adult Catholics, in particular, to really seek this information out and to start study groups and and to pray together as a family or as a couple.
1: Absolutely. Well, the first thing, I mean, in that vein, uh, picking up something like Humane Vitae would be very very good, or even the shorter Declaration of Religious Liberty. It's a wonderful reflection on the dignity of the human person and the importance of that. But beyond that, with Pope Paul VI, uh, in the words of uh, Pope Benedict XVI, who in his last encyclical talks about Paul VI, and he says the thing about Paul VI, I'm paraphrasing, of course, the thing about Paul VI is you have to read all of him to understand even one part of him. And so he's a, he's a man who uh, was able to uh, articulate what the council was trying to communicate in, in a very succinct way in Populorum Progressio. But Populorum has to be read in light of Humanae which has to be read in light of Evangelion and the New Evangelization, which has to be read in light of Octogesme Avenians and the 80th anniversary of Rome Novarum. It's all a part and parcel. It's all the same, and, and that's a great image of, of what the church is. Uh, all of these disparate things, the scriptures, the traditions, the teachings, the encyclicals from the various ages, they're all part and parcel of the same thing. One large reality, one integral whole, and that's the truth of Jesus Christ.
0: Why aren't we studying this and pondering this more as a church? We, has our formation been so light that an adult Catholic, they just have never heard of these fundamental teachings.
1: Well, I, I think part of the, the missing gap here is that um, in one sense, we've been too close to it. We've been too close to those times, the really violent, sort of turbulent times of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and I think some of the wounds are still very raw for a lot of people. And so that's, the, that's one reason why I think some, some of us haven't studied this as much. But an, another reason is because um, we're still, this is still a teaching that's very new. You know, the church's timetable is a long, has a long view. And as we attempt to try to live this, this teaching out, um, it, it can change on a dime. You have beautiful examples like Dorothy Day and Catherine Hook doherty and others who were really living the church's social doctrine. But then the 60s happened in the 70s, and living the social doctrine changed radically because it was hardened in political ideologies.
0: I have a particular hero. From that period. Actually, I would say a a, a couple, a very unique couple, and that would be Dr. Thomas and Sue Hilgers. (laughs) Uh, Great advocates, great students of Pope Paul VI, Mm. and what they've done with the Pope Paul VI Institute in Omaha, Nebraska is. Extraordinary. I, I don't doubt that someday, who knows, people will be saying, "Oh, as we put out the name of the Baroness and Dorothy Day, yeah. uh, that their names will be uttered in the same fashion."
1: Yeah, it's all. It's again, it's part and parcel of that larger vision of Pope Paul the This notion. One of the great things that Dr. Hillages does is he he addresses not just the medical aspects of of his work, but also the relational aspects of his work about uh, what the nature of the marital act can be. And, and does it all from a, a view of invitation. So that's a perfect example of, of how someone lives out the th- theology, the thought of Pope Paul VI, is by inviting one to the fuller understanding of what this teaching really is, and helps us live it out in the, in the here and now.
0: That's what we're supposed to do, isn't it, Omar, to be out in that temporal order.
1: Yes, that, that's the vision of God in it's That's the vision of the Second Vatican Council. I mean, opening wide the doors to Christ, but, but so that we can go out, not necessarily so people can come in, but we can go out. Uh, von Balthasar put it this way, let's, let's tear down the walls. Let's go out into the world and bring Christ to the world, because that's how you transform the world. Um, that's how you, you, you bring about this, this social justice that every, everybody wants. And so the efforts of, of Dr. Hildress and others to, uh, to bring the deep wisdom on the human dignity out into the world, that's what we're being called to do.
0: Any final thoughts on Pope Paul VI? Uh,
1: pick up Gaudium et Spes, read a paragraph or two, really ponder it. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource. And I would also suggest Humana Vitae, a wonderful document to sit over and pray.
0: Thank you so much, Omar. My pleasure. You've been listening to Regnum Novum bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.